The Greek philosopher Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. The, the challenge of, of often is for us to, to look in and examine and evaluate what's really going on on the inside of our life. Now, many people would debate that comment by Socrates, the unexamined life is not worth living. And you can see it uh, on the internet, there's all kinds of different articles on, on that. But I think what he's saying is, is, would you look in your life, examine it, evaluate it, and see, am I living with a sense of purpose and with a sense of calling in my life? Am I just existing and paying the bills and doing what it takes and going to school and hoping for a better future? Am I doing that or is there really a sense of call, really a sense of purpose in what I'm doing? Paul had a sense of calling and a sense of purpose in his life. His declaration was, for me to live is Christ. Everything about my life is is going to be about Jesus. That was his calling. That was his purpose. He called that church in, in Philippi to rejoice in the Lord always. There was to be this sense of, of purpose and a sense of joy in his life. He thanked them for their partnership in the gospel. There was this partnership of something that they were doing that was worthwhile in life. Can I ask you today... If we peeled back the veneer of your mind and your heart and we examined your life, do you have a sense of purpose and a sense of call? Not just on your own level of thinking, I want to do this so I can do that, or I want to attain this so I can get there. I'm I'm talking about a sense of God-driven purpose. So that I can make a difference in people's life forever. Paul had it. And in Philippians chapter 3, Paul looks back at his life. He looks at his life. And then he looks ahead to the future. And he shares a word of challenge. And the challenge is, is for us to live a life that is surrounded by the good news of Jesus. Life in the gospel. So take your Bibles, if you have them, and look with me in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at just a couple of verses, verses 12 through 14, but we're going to kind of make some references throughout the chapter. There's a Bible in front of you. You can pull it up on your phone if you need to. But Philippians chapter 3, we're going to pick up in verse number 12. Paul says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but on, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. With that, let's, let's pray. God, would you speak to us today? And, uh, Lord, you know every person here, and thank you for that. You know where every person is in life. You know what's going on. You, you know the depth of every person, maybe the, the hurt that they're feeling today, the transition that they're going through, the questions that are in their heart and mind, the anxieties that they may be feeling. 
God, I pray you'd speak today in your name. Amen. There are circumstances that can come up in our life that change our perspective. Circumstances that come into our life that can change our perspective of life. For instance, if you get cancer, that may give you a different perspective of the preciousness of life. Or you have a heart attack. Or someone you know or love goes through one of those challenges. Your, your perspective of life could, could change drastically if someone you love was in a car accident today and they were just hanging on in ICU. It would, it would change your perspective of life. There are things that change our perspective of life. Difficulties and tragedies often to us physically. But there are not only negative things, but there are positive things that can change our perspective in life. Like, we graduate, some from high school or some from college, and you feel like, man, I'm an adult now. <laughs> I've, got to, I've got to pay bills. I've got to pay car insurance for the first time, or I've got to get a real job. Or, or that perspective of having a, a first job. Your perspective changes when you get married. You, you've had this kind of this single focus all of your life and you've been able to live and now there's someone next to you. And now there's a whole nother set of, of input that's coming into every decision that you make or any place you want to go. That, that's a different perspective, you know? Taco Bell and White Castle for, for three or four nights in a row may not be exactly what they want. It, you have to change your perspective. Bringing a baby home will change your perspective in life. I mean, you look down into the eyes of this helpless little boy. In my case, boy, 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 boy. Uh, or for some of you who had a girl. You look down in the eyes of this child and, and you think, I'm responsible for this kid. I mean, they can't take care of themselves. I've got to make sure that they're fed. I've got to make sure that they're healthy. I've got to make sure that their diapers are changed. It changes your perspective of life. And actually, just being in the, in the delivery room when this new life comes into the world, it just changes your perspective. They say that when you look down into the eyes of a grandchild, that changes your perspective too. Now, I don't know anything about that, nor... Should I for a little while? So anyway, the, the picture that we see is Paul had a life-changing perspective that came into his life when he met Jesus. Jesus changed everything. Paul at one time was living a life persecuting those who called themselves Christians. And then he met Jesus. Paul at one time felt very, he was very confident with himself and, and, and didn't need anybody because he could make it to heaven on his own. And then he met Jesus. Everything changed. Have you had that life-changing experience with Jesus? Paul realized his sins were forgiven. Paul realized his name was written on the registry of heaven. Paul had a life-changing experience. And in Philippians chapter 3, what he does is he goes back and he looks at his past, he looks at his present, 
and he looks at his future through the perspective of experiencing Jesus and salvation. Salvation is this, or the word being saved means this, that I come to recognize that I have sinned and cannot earn or deserve heaven on my own. But I believe that Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross for my sin, rose again, and he's the only way that I can get into heaven. That is the the picture of what salvation is. And I put my faith in Jesus alone. When Paul experienced Jesus, everything changed. So Paul looks back. And I want us today with a sense of vision to look back. Maybe some of you can look back at your salvation. and We'll look at the present life and what's going on in our spiritual life. Then I want us to look at the future. First off, I want us to think about salvation in our past, our, our past, in, in the past. Paul, as I said, in, in opens this uh, chapter, Philippians chapter 3, and he says, finally. <laughs> I love that he says, finally, because he still has two chapters to go, but he said, finally, right halfway through his sermon, uh, which I don't say, fi- I try not to say, finally, because people think when I say, finally, that means, you know, you can put your mental uh, landing gear down. But Paul says, finally, it should be furthermore. And he calls them to rejoice in the Lord. But then he sets out a warning. And the warning is this. Beware, there are dogs out there and evil workers out there who are going to say this. In order for you to go to heaven, you've got to follow a list of rules and have Jesus. He said, these are dogs. They're evil doers. They're evil workers. And I don't want you to listen to them. And he said, they're taking confidence in the flesh and what they can do and what they can bring to the table. They think that by doing good things, yeah, having a little faith in Jesus, but by mainly focusing on all those good things that we're doing, we're going to make it to heaven on our own. And if you ask the average person today, as I've shared many times, if you ask the average person today, do you think you're going to go to heaven? And they say, yes, it's probably an answer, something like, well, yeah, because I'm a good person and my good outweighs my bad. And I've done a lot of nice things. And Paul says, look, that's just not how it happens. So he looks back at his past life and he says, look, this is how salvation happens. Salvation is not by works. It's not by works. And Paul says, look, if there's anyone who has anything to brag about, their good things that they've done, it's me. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse number 4, he says this. This is how religious I am. If anyone's going to have confidence in the flesh, it's me. He says in verse 5, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul said, look, when it comes to church life and religion, I had the right family. I was a of the Hebrew people. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. Man, I went through all the things of the law. I had the right family. I had the right zeal. I had this sense of righteousness, self-righteousness, that I could look at others and look down on them because I was so good. I knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards, and I tried to live out all these good things. If anyone has any reason to be confident in what they can bring to the table, it's me. And there are many today 
that think because their grandpa was a preacher or their dad was a deacon at a church or because they went through some religious exercise when they were a child, that they're automatically enrolled in heaven. And Paul says, no, that's not the way it is. Matter of fact, in verse 7, he turns the corner altogether and says, all of those things that were on my spiritual resume, I count them all as loss. They're not going to get me to heaven. That's what he says. For some of you today, please listen very clearly and very plainly. If you are trusting yourself, your deeds, your goodness, your family, your religious tradition, in order to get you to heaven, you're never going to make it. And it doesn't make any difference what that religious tradition looks like. It doesn't make any difference how good your family was or how many good things that you can pull off in your life. You're never going to make it on your own. Paul says, look, if anybody could make it to heaven on their own, I could. But I look at all this good stuff I've done and I say, it's not going to get me there. It's all loss. It's, it's like this. If you had a turnstile that you had to walk through to get into heaven, you wouldn't be able to take all these bags of things that you feel like you've done. No. The only way you'd have to take everything else off and say, I trust Jesus alone and walk through that turnstile. That's what Paul is saying. He says, all these things, they may have been good things, but I count them as loss. Because salvation is not by works, but salvation is through faith. As Paul turns the corner then, in verse number 7, in verse number 8, he, he challenges them, says, look, I count all the things for loss. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, it's about knowing Jesus. That's what he says. It's the knowledge of Christ. And then he goes on. The knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus. He says, man, I can't dress myself in my own good works to get to heaven. My own righteousness and my own deeds are never going to get me there. Instead, it's only through faith in Christ alone. That's what he nails down. Through faith in Christ alone. He would write this to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace, God's mercy and grace and love. For by grace are you saved through faith. And not of yourselves... Not by things you do. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. This is what Paul says. Look, I have this oppressive spiritual resume. And if I could get to heaven because I have a spiritual impressive resume, then when we would get to heaven, we'd all be bragging about our impressive spiritual resume. This is what I did. Oh, this is what I did. Well, I was over here. Well, I've done more than you. Well, I did this. Well, I did this. I had the opportunity to give this. So it's all of these things that we bring to the table. And Paul says, no, that's not how you get to heaven. It is a gift from God alone that comes through faith. I was looking last night thinking about what kind of gift would somebody like? And I was looking at a 2020 Chevy 
Corvette Stingray. That'll run you 70 plus grand, okay? And if I was going to give you the keys of a brand new 2020 Chevy Corvette, 70 plus thousand dollars, and I'd give them to you as a gift, and you said, oh, buddy, that's too much. Let me at least pay you 10%. Let me at least pay you 5%. Let me at least pay you something. If I took anything for that, it would no longer be a gift. And you would walk away and say, man, I got this $70,000 car for a thousand bucks. You'd brag more about the deal you made than the gift I gave. And that's the issue with salvation. God doesn't want anyone saying, this is what I did. It's all about what Jesus did. So that if you would take all religions in the world, they can be summed up in two ways. One side says you have to do, you have to do, you have to do. You have to do this, you have to do this, you have to believe this, you have to go there, you have to jump through this, you have to go through all these spiritual uh, or religious or, or uh, man-made rules. It's all on you. And then there's Christianity that says, you don't deserve to go to heaven. You have sin in your life. You have things that you've thought, said, and done that are wrong. But I'm going to give you heaven as a free gift. You just have to take it by faith. That's the difference. Salvation and our past. Have you had a moment in in your past where you have truly said, Lord, I know I can't get to heaven on my own. I believe Jesus died for me and rose again. Jesus, forgive me and come into my life. If you've not had a moment like that and you're not certain that you've received that gift, that is everything. Paul says, for me to live is Christ. It's all about the past, and how that changed me. But Paul doesn't stop there because Paul then talks about how he's seeking to grow. And and we're going to use a Bible word here, the word sanctification. Sanctification and our present life. The word sanctification is a word that uh, comes from the word holy, but it means this, to set apart so that as we come to that place where we say, look, I know that I've trusted Jesus in my life, Now I'm to set my life apart and to seek to live for Jesus. That's what sanctification involves. Now I'm growing in my relationship with Jesus. I'm seeking to live for Jesus. And Paul, maybe the greatest Christian of all time, in verse number 12 reminds them, look, guys, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't attained this. He says, I haven't, not that I have already attained or am already perfected. (laughs) He says, look, man, I'm still growing. Sanctification is a growing process. It's a growth process. It's a process in which I'm growing closer to the Lord and more like the Lord in my character. So as we think about our life now, Paul says, look, I haven't arrived yet. But he says, I have this desire. And my desire is, is that I am going to press on. Notice, His desire, verse number 12, he says, I haven't already arrived yet, but he says, but I press on. I press on. Man, this is the picture of an athlete who says, man, I am pressing on. I am moving forward. 
Yesterday, I, I subjected myself to a training workout. And I pushing, it was pushing weights. And as I'm pushing and pressing, it's the striving of an athlete. And Paul says, look, I haven't arrived spiritually. And so I'm going to continue to grow closer to the Lord. I'm going to continue to pray. I'm going to continue to commune with the Lord. I'm going to continue to be in his word. I'm pressing like an athlete. That is my desire. I haven't arrived yet. I'm going to keep on moving forward. But not only does he say that he's pressing on, in the next verse, then he says this, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, verse number 13, forgetting the things that are behind me and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. We see Paul's, we see Paul's desire, then we see his devotion. One thing I do. One thing I am after. Verse number 10 says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. And Paul's desire was one thing, to grow closer to Christ, to grow in his faith and to help others grow in their faith as well. But notice what he says in verse number 13. He says, in order to press on, I have to forget the things that are behind me. You know, in your car... You have a lot bigger windshield than you do rearview mirror. Why is that? Because when you're driving, you need to be looking forward, not backward. In your spiritual journey, you need to be looking forward, not backward. Paul had to forget and leave some things. In 1 Timothy 1, 15, Paul says, this is an acceptable saying and we're, or this is a, a faithful saying and worthy of acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Paul said he was a chief sinner. Paul had to forget the sins that were behind him and press forward and look in the windshield for Christ, not in the rearview mirror at his sins. Some of you today can't experience victory in your life and the desire to press on in your spiritual life because you're holding on to something that you did in the past. And because you're holding on to that, and because every time you begin to take that next spiritual step forward, the devil, the accuser of the brethren, makes you look back and say, remember you did that. Remember you did that. Remember you hurt this person. Remember you sinned against that person. And it paralyzes people where they no longer move forward. You know what Paul did? In Acts chapter 8, verse number 1, Paul was there consenting to the death of Stephen. In Acts chapter 9, Paul is on the road to Damascus. Do you know why? Because he has letters from the chief religious leaders that he is going to arrest and imprison Christians. Paul was responsible for the arresting, for the imprisonment, and even for the death of believers. And Paul, as he says, look, I've got to forget some of those things in order to press on. Some of you have to press on and say, God, forgive me. I'm going to leave it back there with you. First John 1 9 says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Leave it. And the words are frozen. Let it go. Let it go. You say, well, God may have forgiven me, but I can never forgive myself. 
Are you serious? You mean to tell me the God who created you, loved you, the God who cares for you and the God who is with you every moment of every day has said, I forgive you and you won't let go of it? Are you greater than God that he could forgive it and not you? There are times to forgive, repent, and move forward. Paul not only had to leave past sins, but Paul had a lot of past successes. There were a lot of good things that Paul experienced in his life. Man, he could look back in his rearview mirror and say, man, I got to see Jesus face to face. Man, look at all the wonderful things I've done back there. Instead of, instead of, of pressing forward, I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to spend the rest of my Christian life looking back. I'm going to look back at the mountaintop experiences of my Christian life and that's all I'm going to do. I'm not going to press forward anymore. When our students come back from camp, you know, they've, They've been away from life, and as they know it, they have spent their life in worship and Bible study and, and done recreation together and hung out together and prayed together. And it's like you come back from camp and you think, man, I wish it could be like that forever. But we have to get to real life. We can't live at camp. And Paul says, I just can't live back in the past on that mountaintop experience that I had with Jesus when I saw him. I've got to press on. I've got to move on. Jesus, when he was transfigured on the, as the disciples were there, a couple of his disciples were there with him, Peter says, Lord, let's just build a tabernacle and stay here all the time. You know, Jesus is, is glowing with his glory and Moses and Elijah show up and Peter says, hey man, this is a great place to live. And no, Jesus says, no, that's not where you're going to live. You got to keep pressing. You have to forget your sins Sometimes you have to forget your successes. And sometimes you have sorrows because you go to a church and somebody hurts you. Somebody says something, somebody does something, and you're trying and it just isn't working out the way that you want. And It's easy to quit. And can I be really honest with you? If you're in church long enough, somebody's going to hurt your feelings. Okay? It's just going to happen. I mean, let's, let's just be honest. We're all people. We can all have a bad moment, we can all get in the flesh, and we can all hurt somebody's feelings by what we say or how we act. And the picture is, as Paul, even in Philippians 1, said that there were people out here causing him issues and, and adding to his pain and suffering, and yet he's not stopping. Can I challenge you? Wherever you are in your spiritual life, there's one thing that you need to do. Draw, draw closer to Jesus. But then we see Paul's determination. His, his devotion is, it says, man, I'm after one thing. And then we see that determination. Verse number 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. I press. I press. I'm like an athlete. I'm like a hunter seeking his prey. But as I'm hunting, I'm seeking to draw closer to Christ. That's what I want to do. And can I tell you, none of you have spiritually arrived yet. None of you have spiritually arrived yet. Man, I have not spiritually arrived yet. I'm not even close. But get some determination and get some grit and say, Lord Jesus, I want to know you more. And I want to grow deeper. And listen, if you're not dead, God's not done. 
Okay? So stay after it. Salvation in the present means that I'm seeking to grow in my walk with the Lord. Then we see Paul kind of turn the corner again as he begins to look at the future. And in verse number uh, 17, 18, 19, he begins to talk, or verse 18, 19, he begins to talk about people who live only for earth. And he says, man, those people, they, their minds on fleshly things, their God is their belly and the end is destruction. And then in verse number 20, he says this, for our citizenship is in heaven. So Paul turns the corner one more time as he looks to the future and he looks and thinks about our glorification and our future life. Glorification involves the ending of our salvation when we're able to see Jesus face to face. When our life is changed, as 1 John 3 tells us that we're going to be like him and see him as he is. We're going to be without sin. We're going to be without the limitations of this body that has aches and pains and hurts. He says there is coming a day when that's going to happen. And that's what he deals with in these last couple of verses. Verse number 20. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also earnestly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things. He talks about our glorification, that final stage of salvation. But what does he challenge us in verse number 20? He says this, live as a citizen of heaven. Live as a citizen of heaven, for your citizenship is in heaven. If you're a believer today, if you have truly trusted Jesus Christ in your life, you've heard me say this before. If you've been here, you are not a citizen of earth who will one day go to heaven. The Bible in verse number 20 says that you are a citizen of heaven who is just passing through the earth. That's important. Why did Paul appeal to their citizenship? Well, in verse number 20, as he says, our citizenship is in heaven. For those that were in the city of Philippi, they had a Roman citizenship. And it was very important. It was essential for them. It carried with it a sense of clout. It carried with it a sense of weight that people had to treat them differently within the Roman Empire because they were Roman citizens. Now, Paul says, look, your citizenship is much greater than being in Rome. Your citizenship is in heaven. If you look down in Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 3, he talks about Clement and some of those fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Did you know that there is a heavenly register called the book of life where the Lord records the names of those who are citizens of heaven? That's what he says in Philippians 4.3 whose names are written in the book of life. On one occasion, Jesus had some of his disciples come back to him and they said, Lord, man, we did great things. We were able to preach and cast out demons. And Jesus said, don't rejoice in that, but rejoice in that your names are written down in heaven. Why is it important that you're a citizen of heaven? Why is it important that your name is written in the citizen, uh, in, in, the, in the registry of heaven? Because in Revelation 20, 15, listen what it says. And whoever's name is not written in the book of life will be cast 
into the lake of fire. Final judgment. Do you know your name is written in heaven? Are you a citizen of heaven? Not only do we see that we're to live as a citizen of heaven, but we are to look for the Savior from heaven. As he says, our citizenship is in heaven, and we're looking for the, 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 the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming, and one day he is going to come, and one day he is going to rule. And then he says that we're to long for that transformation that comes as we make it to heaven. Notice what he says in verse number 21. He says he's going to transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. One day, this old corruptible body that's fallen apart, that's getting weak, that has aches and pains, is going to, this, this corruptible body is going to put on incorruption. This perishable body is going to put on, is going to be imperishable. And one day, He's going to take this body and transform it and give us a new body and a new heart and a new life in heaven. Do you know what Paul has just shared? Paul has just shared his testimony. I tried to do a lot of good things and I couldn't make it into heaven on my own. I count all that as loss. But now I realize that through faith in Christ, I could experience forgiveness and righteousness through him. And now I'm seeking to live for Jesus. And one day I believe that I'm going to go to heaven and be with Jesus forever. Do you have that testimony? The truth is, Pastor Jerry did a funeral here yesterday. People can get up and say a lot of things about how good we are, how gracious and kind and loving we were. But you know what people need to know at that moment? They need to know that you had Jesus. That your citizenship is in heaven. And that you're with him. It changes your perspective here in this life. And can I tell you, it changes the perspective of those around you at your death. It makes our departure only temporary until we're with him forever. I want to ask you a hard question. If you die today and you stood before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? what would you say? If there's anything about me trying to be good, me doing good things, giving money, doing religious things, and the foundation is not, I have trusted Jesus Christ alone as my personal Savior. Can I tell you? Your name is not written on the record book of heaven. That's the only way it gets there is when you realize you can't write it, you can't earn it, you can only receive it. And when you receive that free gift of eternal life, he writes it down and seals it forever.
Do you know that you know Jesus? Then are you pushing forward to get to know him more and better? That's what we want to help you with. If you know Jesus, we want to help you grow. Because one day we want to be able to know that we pressed on and we finished well.